This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of John, chapter number four, if you would, this morning. John, chapter four, as we uh, continue. Uh, it's a continuation because I already preached this at, eight, at the eight o'clock service. It's new for you, though, uh, as we uh, take a look at our missions emphasis Sunday today. Um, let me see. There we go. John chapter 4, uh, we're taking a look at really today is our, our responsibility with the gospel. What are we supposed to do with it? Um, what is our responsibility personally, corporately, together, uh, here, around the world, all that other good stuff? We'll take a look at that uh, here today. Uh, John chapter 4, um, if you've never read through the book of John, it's a power-packed book of just a lot of really good doctrine about who Jesus is. We find ourselves in John chapter 4 today. We're going to start in verse number 21, which is about uh, halfway through the story. We skip a little bit that I hope you'll go back and read later because it's really pertinent. Just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Jesus has already spent John chapter 3 with a man by the name of Nicodemus and tried to explain to him the gospel. He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse number 3, something that's critical for you and I to understand because it's why we do what we do. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus says unto Nicodemus, No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Man, Jesus says the only way you're going to get to heaven is you need to be saved. You need to be born again. That's a really important thing. And so John, at the end of John uh, chapter 3, says, He who hath the Son, Jesus, hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. So John basically boils it down like this. You either have Jesus and you have eternal life, or you don't have Jesus and you don't have eternal life. That's why this message is so important. Jesus rolls straight from that into, uh, from Galilee, goes through Samaria to talk to a woman who's at the well. And so this John chapter four, we find the woman at the well. John chapter four, we're gonna start in verse number uh, 21 and read through verse number uh, 42. John chapter four, verse number 21, Jesus saith unto her woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you know what, not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24 is one of those verses you should circle, star, or underline in your Bible. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's really important because God says it this way. Hey, if you want to worship me, you got to do it on my terms. You don't get to make up your own way to worship. You don't get to to form your own version of of who you think I am and worship that. You worship me along with the guidelines that I give you, which is according to spirit and truth. Verse number 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. She says, hey, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man asked, what seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, master, eat. 
But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore the disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So it's interesting to pause here for just a second. Jesus has shared with this woman the truth of the gospel, that he is the Messiah, that he is the everlasting water, that everyone who comes to him will never thirst again. And she recognizes that and puts her faith in Jesus. She believes uh, in Jesus' uh, confession of faith that he's made, and she puts her faith in Jesus as well. And then she goes to tell everybody about what she's seen. And then the apostles come with, they've got takeout. It might have been a Sunday, so they didn't get Chick-fil-A, but they got brought food to Jesus. And they said, hey, hey, Jesus, you need to eat something. And he says, hey, guys, I, I, hang tight for a second. I'm eating a meat right now that you guys don't know anything about. And he was talking about the most important thing is this gospel that I got. And the apostles are kind of scratching their head going like, did somebody feed him like while we were gone or something? Like, what is this meat that he speaks of? And so Jesus unpacks it in, in verse number um, 33. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him to eat? Verse 34, Jesus saith unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Hey, I'm just here doing what God asked me to do. This is more important than eating lunch right now. Verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look onto the fields for they're white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and entered into their labors, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So that when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. For me, I grew up in church, man, my whole life from the time I was born. I mean, nine months before I was born, I was in church. When I came out in church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was a fish fry at the church, we were there. If there was a church cleanup day on Saturday, we were there. If there was a teen activity, our family was there. And we were probably the first ones there and the last ones to leave. Like, always just grew up around church. I accepted Christ as not at nine years old, but I never really grew in my faith as a teenager, really, till to, to left the house. Left the house at 18, joined the Navy right out of high school, and... And I began to kind of just discover my own way and try to figure out my own faith. And uh, I went through this period of time where I didn't want to go to church because nobody was making me go to church. And then I began to become like super duper spiritual. And I would say things like, well, I don't have to go to church to love God. And I don't have to go to church to uh, be a Christian. And I can love God, read the Bible wherever I'm at. It sounded really super spiritual, but... If you know anything about the Bible and anything about walking with God, you realize those are really shallow statements of a, of a really immature Christian, because that's what I was at the time. And I was just trying to figure this whole thing out, and I thought to myself, I don't really need the church. The church doesn't really need me. It's just kind of an additional appendage to Christianity. It holds people back. I had... I'd been burned a few times in church, churches as a kid and as a teenager, and I was just like, man, I don't need that in my life. Like, I got my me and Jesus thing. We got our own thing going on. But again, we go back to this passage, and if we're going to worship God, we have to worship him in spirit and truth. We don't get to figure out our own way that we want to do things and do it from there. And so I, I began to ask the question, what value is the church anyways? And you might be sitting here today going, man, I'm interested to hear what value there is in the church. Man, I don't have time to, to go through all of it today, but here's the thing. 
the church exists because Jesus started it. It was Jesus' idea. This wasn't my idea that we should get together once a week and uh, preach and teach the Bible and we should grow in our faith together and things like that. This was all Jesus' idea, that there would be a group of people that would be called out that would belong to him. Uh, that Greek word is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. It was Jesus' idea from the time he called his first apostles and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That was the beginning of him to begin to call out people until the day he comes and takes us home that would be his distinctly. And it was his idea that these people would form local communities that would be known as the body of Christ. Inside these communities, there would be fellowship, teaching, discipleship, accountability, growth, worship, praise, rebuke when necessary, and that these people would function as a family and portray Jesus Christ in their local communities. That was always his plan, always. We call that the local church. That's why it's super important. So we get these local churches, local bodies of Christ, who we call it is the body of Christ. We're a local group of called out believers that worship Jesus. We gather together uh, once a week at least, on bare minimum on the first day of the week to remember that we worship a risen Savior. That's what we do. That's why we do it. Now the question comes, okay, well, we're gathering together. What exactly are we supposed to accomplish? What are we supposed to do? If you know anything about any type of organizational leadership, you know that every organization has to have a mission. Now, some organizations have lofty mission statements, right? Uh, we exist to change the world through the world's most comfortable T-shirts. Okay, that's pretty lofty. I don't know that you're going to change the world through T-shirts, but I like it. I like comfortable T-shirts, but are you going to change the world through that? Maybe, maybe not. You know, uh, some church, uh, I'm sorry, some organizations exist for uh, different purposes to maximize shareholder profits and all these other things. You got to have a mission. You got to have something that you're shooting for. Those of us who served in the military, whatever unit you're part of or division or department has its mission. This is what we have to accomplish. If we don't do it, we're failing the mission. It drives what we do. So. What's the mission of the local church? What are we supposed to do? And here's the thing. You and I don't get to answer that question for ourselves. Hmm, I'm going to find a church that has a mission that I really like. Uh, we're going to find a church whose mission is inclusion for all, welcome for all, and happiness and cupcakes on the first Sunday of the month. That's our mission that we have. That's not the mission we were given. The church was given a mission already. It's called the Great Commission. Four different times throughout four different Gospels, Jesus repeats this mission that the church has. We find it also in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse number 8. Five different times, Jesus himself gives us the mission of the church. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We call this the Great Commission because this is Jesus taking that called out group of people that he had, that he made his own, and he says, here's what I want you to accomplish. We see it again in the book of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then we get to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven and he's standing on a hillside. He's giving them final instructions. And he says to them, last words that he says, 
pretty, pretty critical, right? Because like you take any like movie, like right before somebody dies, you like their last words, and they're like, come closer, come closer. Jesus didn't do that because he was, had 100% health, and he had all power as well. But he says, hey guys, before I go, one last thought. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. But you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And then he split, gone, ascended to heaven. And so his called out body is still standing there, like looking up in the sky, like, I think he like left. And they're still looking. And the angel comes by and he's just like, hey, guys, I don't know why you're standing around looking in the heavens. He's gone and he'll come again that same way at another time. But until then, he's told you what to do. Scram, go, get the word, go do it. And so that's what they did. That's the mission of the church. That's what we've been given. And let me just tell you this. The mission of the church has not changed since then. That mission is still in effect today. So what are we as a church supposed to do? Go, win, baptize, teach. That's it. That's the mission of our church. Now, this is, this is really important that you get this because if you, if you miss this, you're going to miss what church is about. If you have a church that relinquishes this mission and adopts a new mission, it's no longer the church that Jesus started. We don't really do the whole go and baptize each. That's kind of an outdated model and mode. Our job as a church, our mission is to uh, see, see the end of racism in America in our life, lifetime. Ah, can't do it. You're no longer a church. You can do that if you want to. You just can't call yourself a church anymore because that's not what the church does. It's not our job to fix the problem of systemic racism. You say, you don't think it's a problem? I think it's a massive problem. I'm deeply grieved over what I see taking place in our nation. Deeply grieved. I'm deeply grieved over what I see taking place in our city as far as racism is concerned. But our problem is not to end racism. That's not the the root of the problem. The root problem is sin. Sin. That's the problem. The mission of the church is to end oppressive power in America and take back the power that belongs to God's people, not the mission of the church. Again, you can create a 501c3 nonprofit organization that does those things. That's fine. Just don't call yourself a church because that's not what the church does. That's not our goal. Now, again, do I think that there is, you know, oppression in power places? For sure. Uh, again, deeply grieved by the, the, the things that t- took place in Memphis with the, the police and the, where they killed that guy who they pulled over. Terrible. I didn't watch the video. I don't have the stomach for it. I read a summary of it, and I wanted to vomit. But friends, our goal is not to dismantle oppressive structures in America by defunding the police and creating an anti-authoritarian society. That's not what the church does, and when a church adopts that, you cease to be the church. You say, well, don't you think it's a problem? I think it's a ridiculous problem, but we fix it, get this, by going, winning, baptizing, teaching. That's how we fix it. You, you change somebody's heart. These are heart issues And let me just tell you, you can't legislate heart change. We can't pass enough laws in America. We can't give enough rules. We can't hand out harsher penalties. We can't have more ridiculous screening processes. You can't fix the heart by legislating change. It doesn't work that way. There's one thing that changes the heart of mankind, and that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. So we put all of our eggs in one basket, and that is the gospel. This is the reason the church exists, for the sake of the gospel. This is what we do. Now, again, can we t- go take, take a missionary 
single gal. We're going to send her to Africa to teach English. Can we do that? If that's the, her only goal is to teach English, we shouldn't give a single dollar to that. They, they can download whatever apps they need to their iPad to learn English. But if we're sending a gal that will teach English as a way to draw people in, to teach them the gospel, man, I'm going to put some serious coin behind that because that's the heart of my Savior. It's the gospel. How do we get the gospel to more people? Hey, I'm, I'm for somebody starting a basketball league that the whole point of the basketball league is to introduce them to Christians who will introduce them to Jesus. Man, let's do that. I'm for that. Hey, we're going to create, you know, whatever for the purpose of the gospel. Yes. That's the whole reason the church exists. Our mission is to share the gospel with every person from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. That's our responsibility. Again, this is, this is why we exist. Without the gospel, we have really no news to share. Without a mission, we're all kind of just flying blind, shooting in the dark, trying to do our own thing. This is one of the reasons why churches at large in America are in great chaos because they forgot what the mission was. They abandoned the mission, they adopted a new mission, and they ceased to, to be the church that Jesus started. This all happens when we jettison the Bible, when we jettison doctrine, when we think that the church exists for us. Hey, what do I want from a church? Well, I want a church with longer music service. I want a church with shorter preaching services. I want more comfortable chairs. I want better parking. I want better coffee. The coffee today wasn't great. I want more stuff for my kids. My kids need a playground when they come to church. And then we begin to get completely, totally off base, and we create these massive, sprawling campuses that are ultra acres wide, full of stuff that we weren't really supposed to do to begin with. Now, I'm not against churches with playgrounds. That's nice. We would have one if we could, but we can't. I'm not against churches with parking lots. We would have one if we could. But if these are the things that we need, I would take it. But hey, look, if these are the things that we need to make it a church, we've really missed the boat here. So many times we overcomplicate things. When we talk about the gospel, uh, when, if you look in, in Christian literature, the gospel has become a buzzword over the last 10 years of just basically anything you want to do that is uh, tied to a church, we're going to throw the label gospel on that. Oh, we've got a new gospel-centered park bench painting ministry. We're going to go out in the whole city and paint benches in the name of Jesus. What does that have to do with the gospel? How are we getting Jesus to people by painting a bench? Look, I'm all for painting benches. We'll go out next Sunday night as a church. We won't have an eating service. We'll go out and paint the graffiti that's around our community because we love Jesus and we love our city. And we're doing that because the Bible says, let your good works shine before men that they might see your Father and glorify Him. That's our whole point behind that is to do it to the glory of God. I'm not against that. But to say that that's the gospel, painting over graffiti, is a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. So what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of mankind and his grace to forgive all who come to him in faith and repentance. That's my really quick version of the gospel defined. So again, like, you know, handing out bottles of water at intersections, is that the gospel? No, if you're not telling people about Jesus. No, if you're not confronting people with their sin. No, if you're not telling people about someone who has died on their behalf and was risen and is coming again. If you don't have, include that part, you can't attach the word gospel to it. 
There's so many churches like, oh, our church is a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? Uh, it means we believe the Bible. That, that's not what the gospel means. Again, we have to use the gospel message to get people to Jesus. It's the, it's the only way. And so how faithful are we to that message? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 kind of gives the gospel in a nutshell. The, it's in your notes there. 1 Corinthians 15 verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I love this because if you remember the song we sang, there is one gospel on which I stand. That's a biblical statement for 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. I preached you to the gospel that you believed, that you received, and wherein you stand. And let me just say this for a second. This is even part of the message. This is just going to help you. The music that we sing should be doctrinally accurate and biblically correct and should point us back to the Word of God. We should sing the Word of God to one another. My wife and I were way, way, way tired last night when we went to bed, and we, uh, we were laughing and giggling because we were talking about Christian worship music that speaks in vague references of wind and water and power and, and struggles and chains and, you know, uh, floods and waves and oceans and rivers and just like all this like vague stuff. It's like, no, 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 point people back to the Bible, you know, when I think of how great thou art, and then when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on my, the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died for why? To take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. <laughs> I would much rather have that than this is how I fight my battles repeated 28 times. Just like, again, and again, here's the thing, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying we should sing the Bible. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody or be ugly or unkind. I'm just saying we need to sing the Bible to one another. And so when we sing about the gospel, I hope it fires your heart up. That's the whole point behind it. Worship is meant to draw our heart to the heart of God. Again, the gospel wherein you stand by which you're also saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, which lest you believed in vain. Here's the gospel in Paul's nutshell. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and then he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's a, the nuts and bolts of it. Jesus died, why? For our sins, and he rose again the third day. That is the gospel in a nutshell. This is how we find God. One uh, book that I read several years ago about the gospel, the author broke it down into four different categories that I thought were helpful as we talked through the gospel. God, man, Jesus responds. God is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy in every way. He has a deep abiding love for you and I, but mankind, you and I, have sinned against the holy God We've broken God's law, not once or twice, but again and again and again, and you and I stand in danger of God's judgment. When we die, we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. That's the penalty of our sin. But God, in his incredible grace and love for us, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sin. You and I were supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished in our place. You and I were supposed to die, but Jesus died for our sins. But you must make a response to that message. You either believe it or you reject it. You either receive it or you don't. And what you do with that message determines where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. This message is so important. 
This message is the reason why you and I do what you and I do. This is the reason why the church exists, for the sake of the gospel message. It's so ridiculously simple. A child can understand it, can process it, can put their faith in Jesus to save them. There's no classes that one has to take. There's no uh, religious process that we have to go through. We don't have to do any religious acts like a baptism or the Lord's Supper or anything like that to be saved or to receive Jesus. It's a simple thing of faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me. And friend, if you're here today and you've never been saved, today is your opportunity. More than I want to reach people on the Ivory Coast, I want to reach somebody that's in this room today that doesn't know Jesus. That's, man, that's my heart. And it's the heart of every single person who calls who we call their church home. If you've never been saved or born again, today is your opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. But this message is so important that we're willing to take time, energy, resources, finances to send people around the world to let this message be known. It's so simple, though, so simple. This message that we have, you and I take it for granted sometimes. I grew up in the South in Kentucky, man. I, I couldn't find somebody that didn't know about Jesus. I couldn't find somebody that didn't go to church on Sunday. I went to, to the Waffle House in uh, uh, North Carolina one time I was there. If you've never been to a Waffle House, you're missing out on what makes America great. Um, the people that are cooking your food back there have probably been on an 18-hour shift. They have probably three front teeth uh, that they have. <laughs> They smell like cigarettes. Their clothes are filthy. But it's some of the best food you'll ever have in your life. Um, I remember I was talking to my waitress at the Waffle House, and I said, hey, I wanted to give you one of these. I said, it tells you how you can know for sure when you die you're on your way to heaven. She was like, oh, sweetheart, I've been born again. I'm good. And I was just like, I'm sure. What did you say? She said, I've been born again. I said, how did you do that? She was like, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I know when I die I'm going to heaven. Okay, that's good. Like, you got it. You know? And I was shocked. That this woman at the waitress at the waitress at the Waffle House knew the gospel like that. Man, next day we went over to Cracker Barrel. I'm hitting all the good places while I was there, right? <laughs> Go to Cracker Barrel. I want to give the waitress uh, one of the invitations to church. I say, hey, on the back, tells you hey, you know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. She was like, sweetheart, I got saved before you was ever even born. <laughs> okay. And so totally not used to this, right? Again, that's not the case where we live. People aren't so open and receptive and ready to the gospel. That's just not where we're at today, and that's okay. That's why we're here today. Christina's getting ready to head over to the Ivory Coast of Africa, where, again, people consider the, the Bible a big deal over there. You and I, we can download a, a version of the Bible to our smartphone app in 30 seconds. We got access to more Bibles than we know what to do with. I don't know if you noticed those guys there, but the phones that were sitting on the table, the majority of them weren't smartphones. They were little candy bar phones with a little... Um, keypads on them. I did see one smartphone in the video on the screen was exploded on it. You know, did you see, I don't know if you saw that or not, but like, hey, look, these people don't know anything about like download you version. These people aren't jumping on Spotify to listen to Christian worship music. Like we're ridiculously blessed, but what are we doing with that blessing? Or are we just like, oh, I'm glad I got this. I'm glad I ain't living like that. Or are we saying like, hey, let's do something about getting the gospel around the world. We reach every nation, tribe, and tongue by partnering together with missionaries. On the back table, uh, you should have one of these. Uh, we handed these out in September of last year. 
the list of all of our missionaries that we have that we support through our church, uh, people that you should pray for. If you have the Hui Kala app on your device, the missions button at the bottom has all this exact same information. And if you click on each one of these people, you can read their story, where they're from, where they're going to, uh, what their latest update was, videos if we have any for these people, if they have a website, email address, so you can shoot them an email, let them know what you're thinking about them and praying for them. Like we partner together with these people because they're getting the job done where they are. And so we want to reach African people in West Africa. We want to reach people in Nigeria. We want to reach people in Ethiopia. We want to reach people in the Philippines. We want to reach people in Thailand. We want to reach people in Cambodia. How do we do that? We partner together with missionaries that are going there that are getting it done. Now, again, we're not partnering with missionaries who are just going over there to, to dig wells and things like that. We're not partnering with missionaries who are going over there to, you know, start basketball teams just to teach them how to play basketball or things like that. We're not teaching people that football is really football and soccer is really soccer. We're not doing none of that, you know. That's not the purpose. Now, again, if we do any of those things, there's one purpose at the end. That's to get them to Jesus. That's how we do things. Tiffany uh, Kopiap, our missionary to Papua New Guinea, she was originally a, a single missionary that we supported at this church. She got her nursing degree and went immediately over to the mission field and began to go over there and, and sew up open wounds and give people shots and sew up head wounds and deliver babies and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know that she was licensed to do any of that, but I don't think that anybody in the jungles of Papua New Guinea really cares if you have a license. And so... But she went over there to do that, and we supported her. Why? Because they need better health care? No, because they need Jesus. And so that's why we partner together with missionaries. We see this uh, pattern uh, in the Bible in Philippians when Paul writes to the church at Philippi and says, hey, when I was in Thessalonica, you guys sent money to me again and again and again to take care of my need. No other church did that, but you did. And it gives us a pattern to follow. We find missionaries that are getting the work done, and we send them the resources that they need to get the job done. Now, we as the church are personally responsible for reaching our own city. So while we partner together with missionaries to get the gospel around the world, our responsibility is our city. And so every week of the world, we go out to our community, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our communities. We pass out our invitations that we have. On the back of every invitation that we have is the gospel message. On Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock, we go out to our community as a group of people and just go door to door, hang on people's front doors, try to talk to people on the sidewalk or people that are cutting the grass or walking their dog and things like that and try to get the gospel to as many people as we can. That's what we're trying to do to reach our city. That's our responsibility. Now, Christina is visiting with us. She came out on outreach with our, our church folks yesterday and was able to pass out some invites and talk to some folks. We're thankful for that. But when she leaves, this city's not her responsibility. It's ours. Man, when she gets to language school in France, you know what? She's not just going to be going to language school and hanging out and, and eating French baguettes all day. You know what I guarantee she's going to be doing? She's going to be finding people in her language school that need Jesus and can get to a Bible preaching church. Guaranteed. You know why? Because wherever she's at, that's her responsibility, and we want to help her. And we want to maintain a strong base, sending base back here where we're getting the job done here. You're doing the work over there. And when we all get to heaven, we'll get to see the fruit of our reward. That's the idea behind this. And so you and I are responsible for that. Now, let's take a look at John chapter 4 and how all this fits into what we've been talking about. We see Jesus... <coughs> take a look at John chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter. We didn't take a look at this. Verse number three, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. He comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Just a little bit of biblical history. Samaritans weren't Jews, and they weren't Gentiles. They were part Jew, part Gentile, and that made them a social outcast. 
a lot of racial tension back in that day between the Jews and the Samaritans. And when Jesus left Galilee, he says, hey, guys, I need to go through Samaria. And I can imagine they're like, go through what? Samaria. Uh, okay, so much that when Jesus got to this city, Sychar, and sat down at the well, the disciples like left and went and got lunch. Like, we shouldn't even be here around these people. If you go back and read the story, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and she says, why are you a Jew talking to me that's a Samaritan? Like, you shouldn't even be talking to me. That's the, the level of racial tension here. Here's what, here's what Jesus was saying to us. The gospel is a one-size-fits-all message. Doesn't matter the city, doesn't matter the people, doesn't matter the ethnicity, doesn't matter whether they're male, female, doesn't matter. The gospel fits everybody, and everybody needs to be reached. And so here we see Jesus begin to share with her. He tells her, uh, again, uh, that, hey, I've got a water that when you drink, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, man, give me this water. And she goes on and talks about uh, her life and asks her questions. They begin to have a discussion. We got down to the bottom where she recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And she goes and tells everybody. Take a look at verse number 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, come and see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and they came unto him. You know, one of the most powerful tools in sharing the gospel is sharing your own story. Look, if you want to share about Jesus, you don't have to have a ton of the Bible memorized. You don't have to have even the Romans road memorized. We got verses on the back of your invitations you can hand out that go through the gospel if you want to just bullet point by bullet point straight down the line but you don't even have to know that here's what you just need to tell people your story hey here's my life before jesus here's how i met jesus and here's how my life has changed since then that's it this woman when she went into the city what did she tell them hey guys i think this guy fits the prophecy that we find in uh, the book of isaiah when i she didn't say none of that she's like hey guys i found him the christ you got to come and see that's all she said. Now, she was an unlikely candidate to be sharing a message like this. Again, in the story, Jesus had talked to her, and he said to her, hey, why don't you bring your husband out, and we'll all chat together. And she was like, oh, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, no kidding. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you're currently living with is not your husband. And she says, Hey, I've got a question about worship. Uh, people say we should worship here or there. It's interesting how she pivots really quick away from that, right? But here's the thing. you got a woman who's been married five times, is living with a dude who's not her husband. She's the one that goes back and brings the message. Jesus didn't pull the Bible scholar out of town or the guy with the squeaky clean testimony out of town. Jesus was willing to grab anybody, anywhere, anytime to get the gospel forward. Anywhere. And so she went, and here's what she did. She just told her story. All you have to do is share your story, and it can change somebody's lives. I remember, man, probably 15 years ago, flipping channels on the TV, trying to find something on past 9 o'clock, and it was one of those times where everywhere you turned was P90X, like P90X, P90X, P90X. I'm Tony Horton, you know, going to change your life, P90X. You know, just, whoa, flip. Tony Horton, P90X, flip. P90X, it's just like, wow. And so you hit it like six times, you're like, okay, I'm going to watch it for a minute. And there's always the dude 
He's the big, huge, dumpy, fat show, you know, and he does P90X for 90 days, and he's got like an 18-pack, and he's got like veins running, like he's got a fire hose down in his arm, and his biceps rippling, and you're just like, okay, if that fat show could do it, I think I could give it a shot, right? I mean, if he could do that, I mean, because you begin to think to yourself, hey, I think this really works. Hey, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but I see that something's different. That's the power of a personal testimony. And here's the thing. People can disagree with the Bible. They can fail to see Jesus for who he is, but they cannot refute your story of how Jesus changed your life. They just can't. Again, people want to argue theology and and stuff like that. They can do that. People want to ask you, well, creationism versus evolution. How do we know that evolution isn't this? What do you do about radiocarbon dating? What do you think about this dig that they found here? What do you do about microevolution versus macroevolution? Man, I don't know nothing about that. I just know what Jesus has done for me. I really can't speak to any of that. I'm not, I'm not an expert in that area. But I can tell you, when I was nine years old, I, I got saved because I grew up in church my whole life. But from the time I was nine to the time I was 21, I never grew at all. But when I was about 22 or 23, I fully, fully put my complete and total faith and trust in Jesus and just wanted to walk with Jesus every day. And my life from 23 to 45 has just never been the same again. I can tell you that when my wife and I got married when I was 21, I was a marginal follower of Jesus, like barely even like went to church. But I can tell you within a couple of years of us being married, we were hardcore sold out disciples of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the guy that she married isn't the same guy she's married to now because my life is flipped upside down. That's what Jesus did. Well, what about the discrepancy in Levitical law? Man, I I don't have time to talk Levitical law. I can just tell you what Jesus did for me. Not to say those things don't matter. It's just like, I I might not have the answers for all that. I can just tell you what Jesus did for me. People can't argue with that. Again, if you tell me, hey, I lost 20 pounds in a month. How did you do it? I ate lettuce every single day. Only lettuce every day, 30 days, and I dropped 20 pounds. I can say, that's dumb. It's incredibly unhealthy. You should probably see a doctor. Your weight's coming back. Those things don't last. But here's what I can't do. I can't say, no, you didn't, because you really did. I can't argue with your story because your story is a fact. I can argue the peripheral of it. I can argue about, I don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. I would do something different if I were you. But I can't argue with the fact that you did this and it made a difference. People can't refute what Jesus has done in your life. Hey, again, if you think I believe the fairy tale, that's fine. I just know this. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I have more peace in my life than I've ever had in my entire life. And whatever I got coming down the pike at me, I'm not worried about it all because I trust in Jesus. Man, that's all I know. If if you think I believe the book of fairy tales, that's fine. But you can't argue with the peace that I have. You just can't. That's the power of a personal testimony And so when it comes to stewarding and managing this gospel message in our city, how do we see Honolulu one to Christ? How do we see Honolulu, the island of Oahu, one to Christ, walking with Jesus, making a difference? I don't know if you've been paying attention, but man, things like here, uh, when you flip on the news, you scroll news headlines, it just seems to get worse, 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 worse. But hey, man. My faith isn't in what I see on TV or who's currently in office and what place and things like that. My faith is in the gospel. If this world's going to be changed, it's going to be changed by the gospel. 
Now, again, we all want to see big, huge change really fast. But I'm just going to tell you, God might do it, but I don't think that he will. And again, I'm just kind of stepping on a limb and saying, I don't think it's going to happen this way because we don't see this a lot in Scripture. I don't think that we're going to like rent out Aloha Stadium or a packet full of 50,000 people and everybody's going to come down to the 50-yard line and kneel and give their life to Christ and we're just going to see this massive change and this, this, this crusade that we have at Aloha Stadium lasts for a week and then people want even more and so it lasts even another week and then people want more and it lasts even another week and we're seeing people left and right come to Christ and just the whole island's taken over in a matter of a couple of weeks. I don't think it's going to happen like that. Now, could be wrong. But when we see it in the Bible, we see one event like that. It was called the Day of Pentecost. That was a one-time event that started the church as we know it today. And then you know what happened from then? It was just a matter of people going over to people's houses and having lunch and breaking bread and sharing the change that Jesus had made in their life one person at a time. Man, a couple dudes get thrown in jail in the city of Philippi. The Philippian jailer hears about Jesus. He's just like, hey, I want some of that. Can you come over and tell my family too? And we just see people added. And you see, Paul finds a young guy by the name of Timothy, whose mom was a believer, but his dad wasn't. And then he invests in Timothy and uses Timothy in a great way. Finds another guy by the name of Titus, pours into him, tells Titus to go out and find other guys that are like that and pour into their lives. You just see that in the, in the, the New Testament, just one person at a time. That's it. We all want huge results. Who doesn't, you know? Again, who wants to be on a diet where you lose like two pounds a month? Nobody wants that. I want to drop like 15 pounds in seven days. But life doesn't work that way. The gospel wasn't meant that way. And I used to think that this gospel message was too cumbersome. Not that the message itself is cumbersome, but the idea of the Great Commission is cumbersome. How do you reach 7 billion people, 8 billion people with one message quickly? It just, it just can't be done. We're just going to plug away until this, till Jesus comes. And I'll, I'll say this. Uh, article that I read probably 10, almost 12 years ago said that 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel one time. 50%. That was like 7 billion people at the time. 3.5 billion had never heard the gospel once. And I thought to myself, daunting task. How could you pass a message like that so quickly? Again, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus told us to do this, and we're only 50% or less done. And I imagine since that study came out, I imagine the numbers getting better and greater saturation. I imagine it's actually probably worse. So can this even be done? And then 2020 rolls around and we pass a message that went to every single person around the globe in record time. And the message was this. Stay home if you feel sick. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart from everybody else. It didn't matter where you were in the world. There were signs for you. There was translated into your language. I mean, you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and every 30 seconds they're putting that message on the intercom. And I thought to myself, okay, we live in a society today where the message passes really quickly. So that's not an excuse anymore. What's the difference? Well, this was an urgent message, right? I mean, originally, this is going to kill you. It's going to kill your kids. It's going to kill your grandparents. It's going to suck the life out of the world. It's going to decimate us like nothing we've ever seen before. And we, it was urgent, so we got the message out as fast as we could. How urgent is the gospel? Definitely not so much. Majority of Christians don't take it seriously. Majority of Christians have never shared their faith before. The majority of Christians don't give a rip that their neighbor is going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's troublesome. That's problematic. So what do we do? Again, I can't deal with what anybody else does, what any other church does, or anybody else. I can do, deal with what I can do. What's my part? What do I have to do? 
How do I get the message around the world? Romans chapter 10 tells us, Romans 10, 13, beautiful promise from God's word. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody in the world can be saved. All you got to do is put your faith in Jesus and you can be saved in a split second. Man, and we would say to that, amen. Man, that's good news. But then it goes on. (laughs) But how shall they call on him in whom they've never heard? Yeah, Jesus can save everybody, but those people don't know who Jesus is. How are they going to call on Jesus when they've never heard of him? How will they hear, the Bible says, unless they have a preacher? And you're like, oh, yeah, we need more pastors. That word preacher in that that particular phrase there means one who will go out and strongly declare. Not a guy who stands behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning, opens the Bible, and tells you what to do. That's not the word preacher, though. The word preacher in Romans 10 is telling us, People need to go and tell people. How will they hear unless they hear a preacher? It's a rhetorical question. They won't. And here's what goes on. How will they have a preacher unless they be sent? Who sends preachers into the community with the gospel? We do. This is our job. This is why the church exists. Again, the church can adopt the information if it wants to, but it's no longer a New Testament church. So this is the job that we have. And so... Jesus, as he's talking with his apostles here, the woman goes, she's telling people, hey, I found, I found the Christ. You got to come see. People begin to come out. Jesus begins to talk with his apostles. Verse number, um, let's take a look at verse number 35. Here's what he says. Say ye not yet there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they're white already unto harvest. Here's what Jesus says to him. Some Bible scholars believe this, and I think it probably makes a lot of sense that as Jesus is talking to the apostles, the the woman went and told everybody, and they began to come out of the woodwork and come towards Jesus to talk to him. And Jesus says, hey, I know you think a harvest is coming in a few months. You need to take a look around because the harvest is already coming to us. Take a look. The fields are white already into harvest. And he goes on to say this, you're going to reap a harvest where you've sown no seed. Like, hey, you didn't even do anything. These people are coming to you because they want truth. And these people were so starved for the gospel that when they met Jesus, they begged him, will you stay? And Jesus says, sure, I'll stay. How long did he stay? Two days. I mean, we don't want you to leave. We found what we've been looking for, and we found it in Jesus. And so you and I, as we share our story, we're just out sowing seed, To be faithful stewards of the gospel, we have to sow the seed, water it, and wait for the harvest. It's our job. We're just going to go out and sow seed. What if people reject it? doesn't matter. Not up to us. We're just seed sowers. And and here's the thing. You say, well, I sowed some seed. I invited some people to church and they never came. That's fine. I invited somebody that came once and they never came back. That's fine too. You say, how is that fine? Because Jesus told us not all soil is the same. Four different types of soil You're looking for that good soil. If you throw seed and it lands on rocky soil and it burns up and it never goes anywhere, that's not on you, it's on the soil. The problem in that parable wasn't the sower, which is you and I. The problem wasn't the seed, which is the Bible. It's good. The problem was the soil. And you and I can't control soil. All we can do is just continue throwing seed wherever we go. So I'm looking for maximum opportunities to sow seed. Hey, when I go to check out at Long's, I give the, the cashier, hey, I know you're super busy, but I wanted to give you an invitation to church on the back, most important thing you'll ever read. Uh, check that out when you get a chance. 
Man, people I, I see at the gym. Hey, do you guys have a church to go to? I'd love to have you guys join us on Sunday. I'd love to have you as my guest. I'll take you to lunch afterwards if you'll come. Just trying to do what? Sow seed? Man, I get my hair cut. I'm talking to my barber about my faith and how important that is to me and inviting them to church and trying to get an inroad there. Wherever I'm at, I'm just sowing seed. That's what the harvest is about. And Jesus says in verses uh, number uh, 38, take a look at this. I sent you to reap whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you're entered into their labors. Way cool thing happened when we first started who we call. We were probably two years old or so at the time. And there's a guy who came in on a Sunday morning and I preached. And after the service, I was talking to him and I said, hey man, has there ever been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? And the dude like started crying and like couldn't catch his breath, like ugly cry, like, like snot running, like the whole thing, like ugly cry. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what did I say? Like, I say offensive things all the time. I didn't know that this was offensive. And so he, he just begins to cry and he said, pastor, I need to be saved. Can you help me? Man, absolutely. And so I sit down and open the Bible, go through the gospel. This dude is just hanging on every word that I say. I said, man, would you like to put your faith and trust in Jesus today? He said, more than anything in the world. I said, here's the thing, man. I'm going to give you the opportunity to just pray on your own. Just whatever God's put on your heart, all you need to do is express your faith in, in Jesus and ask him to forgive you. And this dude just like dumped his guts of every sin he's ever committed in his life and how wretched he is and just thankful for God's grace and his love and his mercy. And I was just like, looking back, we didn't really cover all those words, but okay, like, man, let it rip. And so... This guy obviously had some kind of understanding. We get to the end of it, and I said, man, praise God. He was just like, I said, why was that so emotional for you? And he said, my grandmother's been praying for 25 years that I would be saved. And he goes, this past week, my whole life fell apart. The bottom fell out of everything. And I thought, I think I just need Jesus, and I came to church. And he goes, when you asked me if I'd been born again, I just remembered everything my grandma's been telling me for 25 years. I said, Dude, call her right now and put her on speakerphone. <laughs> like, and so he called his grandmother and told her that he had gotten saved, and she began bawling on the other end of the phone and stuff like that too. But what had happened? I entered into a harvest of somewhere that I sowed no seed. I didn't have any work in that. His grandmother put in 25 years of work, two and a half decades of sowing a seed and watering a seed and checking back in on the seed and checking to see how it was doing, and I got to come along at the last minute and be a part of the harvest. That's what Jesus is saying here. Here's the awesome part about the work that you and I do of sharing Jesus. We don't know what phase of the harvest we're in, and frankly, it doesn't matter. Paul says, I planted a seed, a pile of water, but God gave the increase. It doesn't matter who did what. It's a matter of God gets glory from this. So when I sow a seed in somebody at work and invite them to church, man, I might be sowing a seed for the first time. I might be the first Christian they've ever met, or I might be a part of a work that God's already been doing on their heart to bring them to Jesus. I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. I'm just trying to get these people to Jesus. And so, man, we need to be constantly sowing seed. And again, Showing seeds not just passing on invitations, that's helpful. It's living a life that draws people to Christ. It's treating people with grace and kindness and compassion and love and mercy and having the character of Christ. It's ex exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's about all that stuff of drawing people to Jesus Christ. And when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, our role is just to be a messenger Hey, if, if you don't receive the message, that's fine. It was just my job to deliver it. You don't like what I said, that's fine. It's not my message anyways. 
When pe- understand this, when you share your faith and people reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. Don't take it personal, it's not a big deal. People rejected Jesus to his face. You think you're better than Jesus? Man, of course not. My job is just to be a messenger. Hey, the paper boy doesn't throw the paper out in the morning and then come back in the afternoon to ask you if you read it. <laughs> it's just his job to deliver the paper. What you do with it is totally up to you. My job is to deliver a message. If you don't like it, that's fine. You got it. I, because, again, I'm looking for good soil to get a good seed in. And if you're not it, that's fine. I can, I can move on. Now, again, I'm going to go back and circle back and ask if somebody has questions and continue to show love and kindness to people and things like that. But, man... I just got to sow the seed, and God's going to bring forth the increase. We went out yesterday to Kaimuki and just sowed a lot of seed. Man, did anybody come to church from that? I don't think so. Did anybody get saved yesterday? No, no, not that I know of. Did anybody promise to be at church? Not that I'm aware of, but we didn't go out to get church commitments or to win people to Christ or get somebody in church on a Sunday morning. We went out to sow seed. Did we sow seed yesterday? Yes. Check. Done. And what are we going to do this Saturday? Sow seed. Done. What do I want to do this afternoon? Try to find places to sow seed. Done. This is my job every single day. I want to bring people to Jesus. And again, not about the harvest. It's about the faithfulness of the sower. Jesus tells him, hey, you think there's months coming to the harvest? The harvest is already here. Don't wait for a mission field. You live on a mission field and your time is now. Again, I don't have to go to the Ivory Coast. I don't have to go to the Philippines to find people that don't know Jesus. I just got to walk out my front door. They're everywhere. Look, there's a a building directly across the street from our church. I don't know, 50 feet from our church. 1,500 people live across the street, the majority of which probably don't know Jesus. I don't have to fly to a jungle in Africa to find people that don't know him. They're right across the street from me. They live right down the street from you. They're in the cubicle across the hall from you. We just got to be faithful in sowing that seed. So we're on a mission field. Our church next year will take our first ever foreign missions trip. I'm pumped about that. But we can't neglect our local mission field to go to somewhere else to sow seed there. We're a missionary here. Missionaries look for an unreached area and desire to make an impact. Man, you are in an unreached area. Guaranteed. How can you make an impact? What difference can you make? What is God, who is God going to use you to touch this week with your story? Again, your story is different than my story. That's the power of a personal testimony. If we got 100 people in this room, there's 100 stories of how Jesus has impacted your life, and every single one of them is different. That's the beauty of this. But who can you reach? Who are you looking for? Missionaries are looking for an inroad and an opportunity to have an eternal impact. Again, I'm looking for everywhere I go, every opportunity that I get to get people to Jesus. I want to be a good testimony. I want to look at people to look at me and see Jesus Christ in me. I want to use opportunities that I have to share my faith with people and to talk about Jesus the best that I can. And so three final thoughts to this today and we'll, we'll be done. First of all, who can you share your story with this week? Again, I'm not asking you to break out the Bible and go to John 3.16. I'm asking you to just have a conversation with somebody and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Is there somebody like that you could do that with this week? Man, it's really easy to have conversations like this. Just ask somebody, hey man, what'd you do this weekend? Ah, oh, we went surfing, hung out, it's a little bit raining overcast, we stayed in, watched some TV. Oh, that's cool. Man, I took my family to church. I went to this church down, down near Alamona Center. They have an incredibly handsome, good-looking pastor. Um, 
Thank you. I, I, I'm not sure why everybody was laughing at that, but I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, no, again, hey, man, I, I found a church that I go to, and man, God's changing my life. What do you mean change your life? Oh, I don't even really know where to start. And man, boom, wide open, share your, op- share your story. That's it. Man, one of our men keeps a Bible on his desk at work. He says, I just use it there as a conversation piece. Now, I hope he reads it, but uh, again, <laughs> just furniture on the desk. But again, the whole idea is that somebody would come by and go, oh, it's a Bible. Are you a Christian? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I got a story to tell you. Who's somebody that you can share your story with this week? Next, what are some opportunities you have to sow or water seed this week? Maybe somebody you already invited to church but never came. I invited, man, probably 30 people to our Christmas Eve service. You know how many came? Zero. But you know what I did over the weeks afterwards? I circled back around to all 30 of those people and says, oh, man, we missed you on Christmas Eve. Oh, man, I'm so sorry I couldn't make it. Hey, no problem at all. 51 other weeks this year that you can come. Pick one. Oh, I'm super busy. All 51 Sundays? Like, really? I mean, we're in like the end of January at this point. Okay, you got like 47 other Sundays you can choose. You're busy 47 Sundays in a row? Oh, well, I work on Sundays. No problem. We got Wednesday small groups. Could you come then? Oh, Wednesdays are busy. No problem. We got Friday night small group. Would you come to that? Ah, we got Tuesday nights. So Tuesday nights, you can totally do that. Hey, you can't do that one Friday night and we're having a cookout at the Alamona Beach Park. Could you come to that? I mean, I'm just trying to sow some seed. And like, hey, man, I'm not trying to bug you or anything. I'm just concerned about where, what happens after we die, you know? That's all. I'm not trying to bug you or get you to join my club. or I don't want to be like the Amway salesman who's trying to constantly sell you stuff that you already buy. And th- that No, I just want you to know Jesus because it's the best thing that I've ever found. Final thought, how can you do more for the gospel this week? Man, we're thankful for committed missionaries who would say, hey, I'm packing up everything that I got, selling it, and moving off to a place where I stick out like a sore thumb because of the gospel. Man, we're thankful for that. Yes, we can applaud that. We can cheer that. We can pray for that. We can give to that. But hey, what are you personally doing? Please understand this work of the Great Commission can't be hired out to somebody. I was talking to a a pastor when we first moved here. He was a pastor of a non-denominational church, and I come to find out it wasn't actually non-denominational. It was really more Pentecostal. And so I said, what do you guys do for, for getting the gospel into the community? And he says, we have a, a group of teenagers that we hire to go out and hang flyers on people's doors. I was like, oh, that's unique. I said, is it a Christian organization? No, it's just a bunch of high school kids that want to make some money. What? Do you, like, like, teach them anything about the Bible? Oh, no, they're not interested in Christian, Christianity at all. They just want money at the end of the day. We, get, we pay these guys 20 bucks a day. They go out and blitz neighborhoods for us and just hang flyers all day. And I thought to myself, if that's your only way of getting the gospel out, you're failing. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but, like, we can't pay somebody to do the work for us. That's not what missions is. Missions is I'm doing my part. I want to help you do your part. I'm taking care of my Jerusalem. I'm trying to get you to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a partnership. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so this is our responsibility, our city. You might be here today and you're like, Pastor, I don't even know what it means to be saved. Good. 
You need to meet Jesus today. It'll change your life like nothing you've ever seen before. Again, I'm more concerned about somebody in this room that doesn't know Jesus than somebody in the Ivory Coast because this is our responsibility today. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure when you die, heaven's your home, please see me before you leave because that'll make all the difference in the world. For those of us that are Christians, man, what's our responsibility this week and who can we reach for the sake of the gospel? Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 